It's a great and wonderful joy to stand before you this morning, be in the house of the Lord, be able to fellowship with each and every one of you. You know, um, to add along to Brother Sonny's remarks this morning, since I've been liberated, I've learned to pray for whoever is to fill the pulpit the next morning or in a little while and all that, and to, to pray for whoever whoever might preach to you because now it might be me. <laughs> so um, I've, I've learned to pray more. Um, and I ask for your prayers uh, for me, but also for yourselves. Because this is not a, a place where we lift up, we talk about how much we know, we talk, you know, we expound upon our great knowledge or um, our understanding of dark sayings, but it's to feed the sheep. It's to feed the lambs. And if you pray that yourselves and your kindred be fed, I feel sure that the Lord will bless. If you ask without wavering and in faith that the Lord would bless y'all, he'll bless me to bless y'all. One of the most beautiful things about being up here is the Lord blessing me for your sakes. That although I'm not, I'm not worthy, his people are worthy. And he blesses me to bless y'all. And when he does that, we don't look at me or we don't look at whoever stands up here. We look to the Lord. The subject that's on my mind this morning, if you'll bear with me, we'll start in... Um, Psalms 121, I want to talk about looking up. In Psalms 121, it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence my help come, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. He said, I will lift up mine eyes. You know, in this world, I think Brother John Mark had mentioned on it, um, or Brother Gary had mentioned on it yesterday, that sometimes we're like Peter, that we look to the left or to the right, that we begin to sink down. It's so easy here in this life, with all the things that happen around us, to, to look down. Now, it is important to consider yourself, you know, to, to watch the way that you walk, that you not stumble. But because we watch ourselves, because we watch our step is not the reason why we don't stumble. The reason why we don't stumble is we look to the Lord, which is our guide. We trust in Him and not in our own understandings. We look to Him. We look up from whence our help cometh. Our help doesn't come from our obedience. Now, there are some blessings in obedience, but that... Blessing doesn't come from our obedience, if that makes sense. The Lord is pleased to bless us when we are obedient. But our help only comes from the Lord. I think of a few times in the Old Testament where they were told to look up. In Genesis chapter 13, you see where Lot and Abram at the time, 
before his name was changed to Abraham, they were separated. Now, Abraham was told to get away from his kindred, get away from his country, get away from all that he knew, and the Lord would give him an inheritance. And he left, but he brought some of his kindred with him. And then after a time that Lot's herdsmen and, and Abraham's herdsmen, they had uh, issues, he said, look, you just go somewhere, and whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. It doesn't matter. He said, after Lot left, the Lord told him, look up. Look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, to the south. All this land will I give thee. I think of the things that we get when we look up, when we look past right here and now in the world that we live in. There's a reason why it says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough evil today. We don't need to look. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to say, well, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day. There's enough evil today each and every day to deal with. There's enough trouble to deal with each and every day. The Lord sustains us daily. He gives us daily manna from above, if you will, the daily sustenance. But in that looking up, Abraham was able to see an inheritance. He was able to see what great plans the Lord had for him. I think when we look up from our lives, when we look up from the troubles that's going on now, we see what the Lord has planned for us. We see an inheritance that he's given us. A little later on, and Brother Gary mentioned this yesterday, um, when... um, he was commanded to sacrifice Isaac. And the Lord and the angel stayed his hand. He said he looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket. Sometimes looking up gives us solutions. Sometimes we find the solution when we look up. In my personal life, I want to get down in the mully grubs. I want to say, woe is me. I want to get under my juniper tree and just be, just be upset. But it's important for us to look up to find a solution. We should look up to the Lord, which sent us the solution. You know, we are in temptation. We're not tempted of evil by the Lord, but we are tempted with evil for our own lust of the sin that dwells within us. He says that he will not suffer, and that's a very important word, he won't suffer. He doesn't please in it, but he, he will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will always make an escape for us. I think sometimes we don't find that escape because we're not looking for it. We're not looking up to him. Sometimes we say, well, we just couldn't help it. But we could. We could look look up. We could look to the Lord. We could ask for deliverance. And he'll always make us a way. That's, That's one of the most beautiful things about the gospel that we preach is you don't have to understand it all. Right. You don't have to, you know, I think about... Some of the other denominations in the world that say, well, you know, you got to believe to be saved. Well, how much do you have to believe? The devils believe in God and they tremble. It doesn't save them to heaven. Knowledge doesn't save you to heaven. Now, grace and peace are multiplied through knowledge. We find that out in in, uh, the uh, epistle of Peter. Grace and peace are multiplied through knowledge. But our grace isn't given through knowledge. It's given by the graciousness of Christ. But we can multiply it with knowledge. But we want to look down. We want to get discouraged. And we get off the track, if you will. We forget who's guiding us. You know, and I think of the, the pillar of cloud by day and the, um, or the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that they were guided with. The children of Israel through, through the wilderness. They didn't look up one day 
get a heading and then followed that for 40 years. They had to look up daily to find it. We've got to look up daily to the Lord. We've got to constantly be looking on Him. Because when we do, as Peter, as we, as we look away, we, we begin to sink. We begin to get off that highway. There's a highway that he has set before us. A highway that, um, as explained in Isaiah 35, he says, there's a, there's a way, a, high, a holy way. It's for wayfaring men, no fool shall not err therein. There shall no ravenous beast come upon it. The Lord providentially has set a way that we are able to worship and follow him. He, won't, he, he never tells us to do anything that we can't do, that he doesn't give us the ability to do. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He doesn't strengthen us you to sin. Now, sometimes we take the blessings of the Lord which he's given us, and we use that to, as an occasion to sin. But he doesn't give us the strength to sin. He gives us the strength to follow him. That's what that strength is for. When you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning, he gives you strength. When you don't, when you don't feel like... Um, Making a long trip to Texas, he gives you strength. When you feel like you're unworthy, he gives you strength. I think of some of the reasons that it's mentioned in the Bible with the children of Israel and, and, we, and we ourselves don't want to look up or can't look up. If you'll turn with me to Ezra chapter 9. In Ezra chapter 9, verse, starting verse 5, it says, And at the evening sacrifice I arose... Up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O my God, I am ashamed, and I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, or to my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses, our trespass, is grown up unto the heavens. Sometimes we can be ashamed to look up. Sometimes we can feel that we are not worthy to come to the house of the Lord, that, we, that we're unworthy to look up to a righteous God. I know in my own life, my sins have compassed me about, my iniquity, my shame. You know, I think of my father when I was young and I would do something wrong and he would call to me. I didn't want to look up to him. I didn't want to look on him because I knew there would be displeasure. That he'd be displeased in what we've done, what I've done. But we can look up anyway. And you know what? More, more, more times than not that I found out, I didn't see displeasure. I saw mercy. Even when we're ashamed of the things that we've done, even when we've felt like we've fallen so far away, we've backslid, backsliding heifer. No matter what, we can look up. We can boldly come before a throne of grace. It's not a throne of wages. It's not something that we've earned. And because we don't earn it, it means we can't lose it. If we didn't do anything to earn it, we can't do anything to lose it. But we can boldly come before a throne of grace. We can look up to Him even when we feel ashamed. Now, there might be some chastisement, but there's grace in chastisement as well. It said, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. He said, If you're not... You're not chastised, you've got bigger problems. But when we, even when we feel the chastisement, we feel the love. As Brother Gary said, that bucket of love is always full. You know, I've, I've, walked, up to the, I've walked up to the steps of uh, Mount Gideon Church more times than once, 
I hear the songs singing in the inside because I didn't want to show up early because I was ashamed. And I remember sitting there thinking in my mind, well, I just better go in here and get my whipping. <laughs> but I didn't get a whipping. I found mercy. I found love. I felt the love of God. Just remember, whenever you feel like you can't look up, look up anyway. Because the Lord loveth you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loved you when you were unlovable. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While you were ungodly, while you were sinners, while you were without strength, He loved you then, He loved you before you were born. There's nothing now that you can do to separate you from the love of God. If you want to try to find something to separate you from the love of God, turn over to Romans 8 and look. So that neither life, neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate you from the love of God. So look up. In I won't even turn it over. In in Isaiah thirty-eight, it talks about. He says, "Fails from looking up. Fails from mourning and oppression." You know, I'm I'm just old enough to remember some of the. Um, churches in our area when we used to have to put out chairs every every meeting it seemed like in the middle of the rows you know we are oppressed in some ways the 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 country that we live in waxes worse and worse we feel oppressed we feel like we should mourn we feel like our children have gone to Babylon but we can look up from whence our help comes we can look up with confidence in the finished work of Christ, in his love, and in faith we can look up. It says you're justified by faith. He said, therefore you, have access, you also have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. Confidence in God is the way I, I define that faith. And by confidence in God, we can be justified by faith. We can declare our righteousness through Christ, even though we don't feel righteous all the time. We can look up. Think of a few more reasons or ways you can look up. I know Nebuchadnezzar, when he had fulfilled that time as a, a wild beast, basically, he looked up and his mind returned to him. We can get reasoning looking up. Remember Jacob, as he was coming back and he, saw, he looked up and saw Esau coming? We can see deliverance when we look up. We can see what great and wonderful things the Lord is doing for us right now when we look up. We can see past the, the troubles and trials of this world. So if God be for us, who can be against us? Not who is against us, but who can be? No one can be against God, and because no one can be against God and win, no one can be against us. Now, he does say that ye shall have tribulation. That's the same shall as he shall save his people as far as I, as far as I know. You shall have tribulation in this world. You shall have persecution. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There is nothing in this world, there's nothing that can happen to us here and now that, keeps, that should keep us from looking up. So, yea, though we are as sheep led to the slaughter, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We're more than conquerors in Him who loved us. We can always look up, regardless. So we can see, we can look up and see solutions to problems we have here and now. We can look up 
and see inheritances that the Lord has left us. We can look up and see his benefits. We can look up and see deliverances. We can look up and see our help. We can look up and lift our eyes above right now. You know, it says Zion is placed on here. It's a beautiful for situation. Situation, as far as I understand, means elevation. One of the things about elevation is you get to see a little bit better. When you look up, you get to see a little bit better. You get to see something constant. You know, the world may change around. He said, he said, he said I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. As far as I know, the sky doesn't change. It might get cloudy. We may not have the best appearance, you know, best view of it. But when we look up to God, it's, He doesn't change. We'll always have those things. His mercy is eternal. Think of one more place, and I don't want to take too much time because I'm excited to hear Brother Gary as well. Um, I believe it's in Luke. Chapter My mind fails me right now. But he tells them, he said, all these things are going to happen. He said, behold, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. The main thing we can look up for is in the finished work of Christ and his redemption, and it draweth nigh. If we get distracted to the left or to the right, when we get distracted looking down so much, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of the great and wonderful promises that he has given us. We lose sight of his love when we look down. He said he's the creator. He said, um, he said he is the creator of heaven and earth. He has all power, all knowledge. You know, I was talking to Brother Gary and just enjoying the sermon so much yesterday. I was talking about that um, when, they, when that love and caring, he said it, when they were in that ship, he said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He said, O oh, oh, ye of little faith. Mm-hmm. When we have little faith, we look down. We look at our surroundings. We look at what's going on around us. We look at our circumstances. And we lose sight of that. Whether we be going through cancer or financial issues or loss of loved ones or just storms in this life storms that are surrounding us in all sides where the ground doesn't feel like it has any any foundation whether we understand it or not we can look up we can see past that job said said um said with, with mine eyes and not another i shall see god he was looking past his current situation. He was looking past having to scrape his body with a potsherd. He was looking past losing his children. 
all his earthly wealth, basically. He was looking past having miserable comforters for friends. He was looking past all that, and he could see God. When we look past, we see God. When we look up, we see God from whence our help cometh. If, you, if you're looking for a solution, you know, and that's one of, the thing, one of the most beautiful things about it. You know, in our natural minds, you know, you don't want to pester somebody. Well, this is a little thing. I don't, you know, I don't want to bother God with little things. But each and every time we come to him, even if we think we got it, because we don't, even when we think we have it, if we look up to him, you know what that does? That gives him glory. We glorify him when we turn to him for our help. When we turn to ourselves for help, we're giving ourselves the glory, and we don't want that because we don't have any of our own. We praise ourselves. Oh, I can figure this out. But when we look up, we give him the glory. We see from whence our help cometh, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we're going through, he will always be there. We'll never look up and not, not have him there. For his great love wherewith he loved us. And he's still loving us today. And he's still there for us to look up. Now one day we'll be with him in heaven and we'll look up to him surrounded around the throne of glory forevermore. But the most beautiful thing about the church is we can start doing that now. It's not to the glorious state in which we, we have here and now. It's not the, the glorious state which we'll have in heaven. But we can have a taste of it here. We can, we can have moments of joy and glimpse of his glory like Moses when he put his hand upon the rock saw the hinder parts we can see the hinder parts here on earth in the cleft of the rock we can see the hinder parts we can see a little bit of his glory here and now but we have to look up like I said no matter what you're going through no matter what you may go through in the future look up and look up to God from whence your help cometh May the Lord bless you is my prayer. Sometimes the light surprises a Christian body. Lord for the opportunity to be with you this morning and uh, thank the Lord for Brother David's efforts and his reminder for us to look up. That's always something that I am uh, bad to do, just naturally speaking especially, and I'm afraid it's too much of a spiritual picture of myself. Um, if I understand myself a little bit correctly, I tend to think that I'm uh, perceptive but not observant. Um, I can tell, I feel like I can usually tell somebody's mood fairly quickly. Um, but if I close my eyes and you say, well, what color shirt is so-and-so wearing? I have no idea, right? Uh, close my eyes and you ask me what color shirt am I wearing, and I often will forget that too. I, 
I'm not observant. And uh, so one, me and one of the boys were someplace. We both had the same color green on. Somebody said, oh, you are both wearing the same color. I said, oh, yeah, we sure are. You know, I, I didn't know this. And there's so many times when something is, we're in a building and somebody says, well, look at the um, engravings on the wood, you know, up in the rafters or something like that. And I, oh, wow, yeah, that is. And I just don't, I'm not prone naturally to look up. And it's my task-oriented self, probably, where I'm looking at more what do we have to do, what can we do, what needs to be done, uh, what do I need to check on the list next. And I'm always embarrassed about that because I figure there's probably something spiritually true about that in me, too, that I don't look up enough. I'm looking at the problems and the sorrows and the troubles too much, and it's so much better for us to look up. There's a lot of good things that happen when we look up. And when uh, Jesus had spoken to the woman at the well... And she had left her uh, watering pot, and she went into town to tell people, basically, I, I think I have found the Messiah. Y'all need to come see this. And the disciples came, and they were kind of surprised that she had talked with a woman. And, you know, they, uh, he said that they asked if he wanted anything to eat. He said, I've got meat already. They said, anybody bring him bread? And Jesus said, uh, lift up your eyes. That's another way of saying look up, isn't it? He said, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. For they are white already to harvest. Right? They're white already to harvest. So Jesus is telling them, we've got a work to do. Now that kind of appeals to my task-oriented self, right? Here's something to go do. Go do this. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples there, pardon me, he says, there's a job at hand, and there's a job for us to do. While we look at a declining society around us, uh, we can look at those troubles I guess we need to be aware that it's there to some extent. Um, but what's more important is there are still God's people around us um, in our communities, certainly in the house of God where we need uh, to be given first of all. But there are people around us that are children of God that don't know the blessedness of the gospel. And the field it doesn't seem as white as it once did, I'll grant you that. But it's still a field that is white unto harvest. Unto harvest means it's time to go pick them, right? It's time to go pick the, fr the apples from the apple tree. It's time to go pick the ears from the corn, uh, the corn from the ears. It's time to go and gather up the fruit. And it's always that time. It is always that time to deliver the gospel to the people of God. He's always got a chosen people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe. And it's always time to look up to the fields because they're white unto harvest. And it's time to go get them. It's always time to go get them. I'm not claiming to be good at that. I am bad at that. But it's always a time to go deliver the gospel. We can always look up because there's always a job to do in serving the Lord. And there's some people that need to hear the glorious gospel that you believe in. You and I have a lot of friends that don't have the same joy and liberty and deliverance that you and I do. And knowing and understanding what grace really means. And not believing in true grace can lead a person... Uh, really to one ditch or the other, right? There's a ditch on both sides of every truth. Uh, the more I live, the more I'm convinced that there's an error on both sides of the pathway of righteousness, no matter what aspect of it that you're talking about. And there's a ditch on both sides when it comes to grace. One, it can lead a person into despair and thinking that my works are never enough. And when I've, like Brother David said, uh, I was told to believe and I believe, but I'm not sure that I believed enough, so how do I know that I'm really bound for heaven? And then there's a ditch on the other side that says, well, I know I did enough. 
and I know so-and-so didn't. You see, there's a problem on both sides of that, isn't there? One leads a child of God to despair and says, I have no hope. And the other leads a person to being puffed up and saying, I am better than so-and-so because I did what I was supposed to do. I'm bound for heaven because of what I've done. You see, there's an error on both sides. But you and I have been delivered from that error. You and I have been delivered gloriously from that pitiful error where we can tell the whole world, I believe I have a hope that I'm bound for heaven, and it's not because I did something well enough. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law to every jot and tittle, and His Father chose me before the foundation of the world, not based upon my merit, but because He is good and holy, and He is sovereign to choose as He wants to choose. And when we look at that, something occurred to me, and I can't remember right now what it was, just in our personal life, but I said, you know, I mean, we old Baptists are not perfect. We've all got faults. We've all got a bunch of them, me especially. Every church has its faults. But my goodness, there is such an inborn humility that should come with being an old Baptist, mm -hmm. believing That's in the right. sovereign choosing of Almighty God, right. because we know I'm just as bad as the worst heathen that there is without the Spirit of God abiding in me. We are as children of wrath even as others. Right Now I can look at the worst heathen that I can identify in the world and I can say I would be just like him under a certain set of circumstances, right? And I deserve the grace of God no more than he did. There's an inborn humility that should come from being an old Baptist and believing in the sovereign grace of God that is without merit, right? We should be a humble people because we should look at any kind of depraved situation and say, that could be me. That could be me. Now, we need to look at sin and see it for what it is. But let's not get haughty in identifying sin because we could say, there but for the grace of God would go why. And there are people across this land and in our towns and near where we live and in our workplaces that they can be benefited by hearing the same gospel message that you and I love and trust in. I've got one that I've worked with that I've tried to talk to. I told Brother Sonny about this yesterday, that it's just shibboleth and sibboleth. We're speaking different languages. <laughs> and I was trying to explain to him, I said, look, if you, if, if you believe that you accepting Christ is what is getting you to heaven, I've got to ask you a question. Do you think that that is pleasing to God for you to accept him? Now, you know where I stand. It's not that we accepted him, it's that he accepted us. And I've tried to make that point to him. It's, it's again, foreign to him. But, I, but like playing it his way, did it please God for you to accept Jesus Christ? Well, sure it did. Well, but Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you did that pleasing God, then before you accepted him, there had to have been faith first. Where did that faith come from? Didn't even compute with him. He said, faith means trust. You have to put your trust in, in Christ. That's not a work. That's not a work. What do you mean it's not a work? And, and we're speaking a completely different language. He doesn't let me finish my sentences. Can't get anywhere with it. But I see evidence in him of being a child of God, somebody that loves the Lord, somebody that wants to do the right thing. And I have no confidence we're going to be, I have all confidence we're going to be together in heaven one day. But he just doesn't get it. <laughs> He just doesn't understand, and he doesn't want to hear what I have to say. He's waiting for me to take a breath so he can jump in <laughs> and tell me where I'm wrong and to tell me the same things over and over again. I, I said, I've heard this my whole life. I, I know what you're saying. I understand this doctrine. <laughs> and, boy, there was one fellow that I, I worked with one time. We had this, this run-in debate constantly. 
And he boldly stood in front of my desk at work. And boy, this brought tears to my eyes when he did this. He stood before my desk at work and he said, one day I am going to stand before God and my works are going to be weighed. And if my bad works outweigh my bad works, then I'm going to go to hell. I just had tears in my eyes. I said, Matt, I wish I could get you to see what grace truly is. Because he's living in bondage. This friend of mine had looked at his life and saw regrets. Who doesn't? I raise my hand and say, I've got bad ones. But this friend of mine had looked at mistakes that he had made. Some of which I had an idea of, some of them I didn't. And he did what we call in that refining process, you know, he did a hazard safety analysis on himself, in my opinion, where he was afraid that he would fail again. He was afraid that he would make those mistakes again. And I am convinced in my heart, and I could be wrong, I know I say this where I could be wrong, but he had this attitude among, among, within himself that's like he's saying, I want to make sure I don't make those mistakes again. Therefore, I'm going to scare myself into doing the right thing. Now, he would deny it, I think. I might be wrong in my assessment. But that's sure what it seemed like to me, like he was trying to scare himself into these good works. But like we said yesterday, faith worketh by love. In fact, perfect love casteth out fear. Right? I like the way we old Baptists look at that. Lord, I've failed thee before. I've messed up and I've messed up bad. But I love singing 589 in the last line of that song that says, and guard me that I fall no more. I can't scare myself into living a sinless life. I can't scare myself enough to say, let me make sure that I never fail the Lord again. But I can beg God to guard me that I fall no more. Right? And I can act in my love for him and the forgiveness that he has shown me. I can live by that and I can act like that. And I can try to be more obedient in the future than I have been in the past. Right? I thank God for the times that I've heard in the old Baptist church. A humble man kneel and pray, Lord, bless us to serve thee better in the future than we have in the past. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when... Paul writes about the Jews and he says they've got a veil in front of their eyes. I want you to turn there with me if you would. We're going to read a little bit of that at trust. But he says there's a veil in front of their eyes. He also describes this veil being over their minds. And he says this veil is over their hearts. So here's a trifecta of three strikes and you're out really, right? Because the veil is covering their eyes, they can't see what they need to see. The veil is covering their mind, they can't understand what they need to understand. And the veil is covering their heart, and it's affecting their affections. This friend that I work with, and, and we've all got him, right? That he's better than me in so many ways. This is not because, hey, I'm, I'm better than he is, but I've got a truth that he doesn't have, and I'd, I'd love for him to have it too. But there's a veil over my friend's eyes and over his mind and over his heart because 
he's not seeing grace. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can wave a hand in front of his face. You know, somebody's blindfolded, and, you know, if you're playing pin the tail on a donkey at a little kid's birthday party, right, you blindfold them, and then you, you wave your hand in front to see if, if they're really able to see something, right? See, are they really blinded? You, you can wave the hand of grace in front of people's eyes, and they don't see it waving, right? Because they think grace looks like something else. Mm-hmm. Well, another another friend of the past told me to tell you a bunch of stories about friends but you know there's a, another friend that I had and on, on his desk he had these two flags like this and one was the United States flag and the other was Israel and right you see all this stuff in in our generation about stand with Israel stand with Israel stand with Israel because they think that there's something special about that nation over there in the Middle East well yeah, I try to explain to him that there's a spiritual Israel in the Bible. Yeah, right. You know, this is the Israel that we right. need to be minded about today. Right. He's not a Jew which is one inwardly, excuse me, outwardly, but one that is, he's a Jew which is inwardly. Mm-hmm. It's not the uh, circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. Right? I tried to explain that to him, and, and he just could not, he could not grasp that God gave a law in the Old Testament, and we're not supposed to still keep that law today. He couldn't grasp. He kept saying, how could a loving and holy God give us a law and say, keep this forever and then do away with that law? And he he just couldn't accept the fact that I said that was all pointing to Christ, right? right? And Christ put that away. Christ put away those old laws. We don't need to have a Passover feast anymore. We do need to have a communion feast, but we don't need to have a Passover feast anymore. For even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Right? Paul wrote that to the Corinthian church. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. If I have the real thing, why do I want an image? Right? There was a time when we were, Sister Donna and I were engaged, where I was looking forward to the day to bring her home to be my wife. Right? Why would I want to go back to an engaged state of life? Right? <laughs> I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> uh, I, that that's a, there's a check valve in that pipeline for me. I don't want to go back to that state. I want to have the real thing. You know, I don't want to have dinner and have her picture at the table. I want to have her at the table. Right? (laughs) So, these Jews, they've got a veil and says every time that Moses is read, there's a veil that covers their eyes, their mind, and their heart. So, when Moses is read. Now, what did Jesus say about when Moses is read? Well, he said, when Moses wrote, he wrote of me. So when we read about the Passover, we can say he's writing about Jesus. When we read about the Day of Atonement, we can say he's writing about Jesus. When we read about the law of purification, it's pointing to Jesus. Now you might point to several of these and say, Brother Gary, show me Jesus in this passage. I'll be saying, I don't know. But I can tell you he's there because Jesus himself said when Moses wrote, he wrote of me. So the Passover feast doesn't have to be kept anymore. Jesus put that away. And I'll go a step further to say if we feel like we have to observe a Passover, then we're observing something that really denies the death and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we go back to the Old Testament law, it's as if we're acting like Jesus didn't come. And Peter struggled with that, didn't he? Because he, he dissimulated with those Jews and they had come and said, no, except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. And Peter preached against that. He preached to the Gentiles. And then those Jews came back and he gave to the peer pressure and he went back and sat with the Jews again and went and sat with the Gentiles. Paul had to rebuke him to the face for that, didn't he? He said, even we who have believed in Christ, he said, we have believed in Christ so we might be justified by the faith of Christ. 
He said, Peter, you and I have believed in Jesus and we did that consciously. We did that consciously knowing that there's a benefit in that. We did give our trust to the Lord Jesus because when it comes to how do we in our conscience, in our soul, how do we have peace in knowing I'm going to stand before God one day? Well, we have a choice in how we're looking at that now, don't we? We don't have a choice in how we're going to look at that one day. We don't have a choice in how what's going to happen one day when I stand before God. Let me be prepared for that. No, there's nothing to do about that. But we have everything to do with how do I see that moment now, right? How do I see that moment in the future? How do I see it now? We've got a choice in that, don't we? We can believe in our works, say I've accepted him enough, I've believed him enough, I've confessed him enough, I've, I've confessed his name enough. Because people will misunderstand that scripture, right? Where it says, whosoever confesseth me before men, him I will confess before my Father, right? I believe that. That's my verse. I'll take it and I will own it all day long, won't you? Because if we will deny the Lord in our day-to-day life, then He's going to deny us in our prayers when He presents them to the Father. If we confess them before men, He's going to confess us before the Father. This isn't something in the future. It's something that happens in our day-to-day life now, right? So what about that moment in the future? How do I see it now and how do you see it now? Well, the way that we can see it now, we could either say, well, have I done enough and have I piled up enough on this balance to outweigh this balance? Or we could say, I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what we can do, can't we? We can say, I know that day's coming. I know that that moment's coming. What am I going to put my trust in? What I've done or what Jesus has done. <laughs> what I did to get born, or the fact that he made me born. That's not hard for our congregation, is it? It's not hard for us to understand that. But we've got loved ones that have the veil up. And every time, not just Moses is read, but I'm going to go a little further. I, I, I hope I'm going to tiptoe on this ice and say, even when Jesus is read, there's still a veil. Because they're not seeing grace for what it is. You know, if you've got a curtain up, you've got a curtain back here, and somebody were to start poking through it a little bit, right, not put their hand around it, but poking through it, you might see, well, something's poking the, the curtain back here. You know, but what is that? I think that's a lot of children of God see grace that way. You know, they're seeing it through a glass darkly. They're seeing grace a little bit, but like, yeah, uh, I think that's a tree limb. <laughs> somebody else says, well, no, it's obviously a finger. No, nah, it's a tree limb, you know. Because there's a veil, and they just don't understand, they don't get it. So, we have a choice that affects our peace now. Mm-hmm. And Peter told Paul, even we have believed in Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Now, my understanding of justified means to show to be aligned with a rule. Mm-hmm. You write justify a piece of a document that you're writing, it's going to be lined up on this side. Right, The man asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? He did this willing to justify himself. He wanted to show himself to be aligned with a rule. You, know, you tell me who my neighbor is, and I'm going to tell you who, what I've done for him. Right. So Paul told Peter, we believed in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. So we put our trust in him, not in our circumcision, not in uh, the fact that we've kept the law enough, And we'll add it to an even more developed New Testament age 
and say, not because I believed in him enough and not because I've confessed him enough. So when it comes to looking, Brother David, there's something that Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 about looking because he says in verse 18, well, before I read that, I want to bring you back to what he's comparing it to. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. He had come down the first time with two sets of stones. God had given him the tables of stone. God had written with God's finger in the tables of stone on the front and on the back. Moses came down and saw wild lasciviousness among the people of God, and he threw the stones down and broke them, which like we've talked about this weekend, I think is a beautiful picture of Adam. He's the one that the law was given to, and he was made by God. He was given the law by God, but he was broken. He became broken. He broke the law of God. It was signified by the tables of stone being broken. So then Moses went up into the mount the second time. But this time God says, you bring the tables of stone. Right? The first time God supplied the tables of stone. Second time Moses supplied the tables of stone. Well, God made Adam from the dust of the earth, right? Well, God used a woman for the second Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made of a woman, made under the law. Now, if you were going to say you've got two men to pick from, and, they, and you've got to choose one of them to represent you before God. Are you going to pick the one that God made from his own hands? Or are you going to pick one that was delivered of a woman? You'd probably say, I'm going to take the one that was made by God's own hands. Well, that's not where our hope lies, though, is it? Our hope lies in the one that was made of a woman. Miraculously of a woman. <laughs> and, and, and blessed by God, the Holy Ghost enshrouded her. And that which was born of her was of the Holy Ghost, conceived by God. Right? So here's a picture of the two tables of stone. One picture being one of Adam, and the other being of the second Adam, the second man, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Moses came down the second time with that holy law written by God again. And the Bible tells us that his face shined. His face shined like a light. And it scared the people of Israel to see his face. Now, if you feel blessed this weekend, or if you've had other blessings of the past where you say that was one of the most heavenly experiences I've ever had in my life with God, and you probably showed up to the job site on Monday, and people may have noticed a piece about you, and maybe they didn't like it. <laughs> maybe they said, no, no, we want the old so-and-so, not the one that has this piece, right? Or maybe there's a time in your life where you said, I've been living in great sin, but it's time for me to turn away from that sin. It's time for me to take up my cross and follow the Lord. I can guarantee you there were people in your life that said, no, 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 we don't like this new person. We want you to be the old one, right? We, they think it's strange that you walk not with the same excess of riot, right? They think that you should do the things you did in the past, not the things that you want to do now, right? It's like your face is shining and they don't want to see that. If you are turning away from a sin and say, look, friends, I've got to stop doing X, Y, or Z, they don't like it. They want to put a veil up so they don't see that because they don't want their own sins pointed out, right? And when these uh, folks living in darkness see you turn into light or see us turning to light, they don't want to see that. They want to put a veil up just like they did with Moses, don't they? It's the same way today, isn't it? Nothing new under the sun, just like it's always been. So when Moses talked to the people, he had a veil up on his face. When he went back to talk with God, the veil came down. You know why the veil came down with God? Because nothing needs to be hidden from God. 
God sees it all. In fact, that was the best that Moses ever was, was when his face was shining. And the best that you and I ever are is when we're communing with God. The best that we ever are is when we're spending time in prayer with God. When we're studying God's Word, when we're sitting in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, hearing the gospel proclaimed, that's the best it ever gets for us, isn't it? Why do we want to put a veil up on that? Why would we want to darken that? Let's pull the veil away, right? Well, they were scared. They knew their own sin. They saw their own sin. Moses has something special going on with him. We don't have that something special. It scares us. Let's cover it up. Peter was like that with Jesus. Jesus worked a miracle. Peter fell down at his feet. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, there's something about our flesh that is fearful of the presence of God. Moses exceedingly feared and trembled when he was up on Mount Sinai. Paul said, when I came preaching the gospel to you, I exceedingly fear and tremble. I believe Moses feared and quaked. Paul said, I was among you with fear and trembling. Right? It's a fearful thing to come and deliver the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to God's people. That's a scary thing. And it should be a scary thing. It should be something that holds us in trepidation because we want to serve the Lord the best that we can in honoring Him and being faithful to His Word and give, delivering true words and not words that come from our own imagination or our own understanding. We want to give the true words of God. Moses, it was the best he ever had it was when his face shined and when he dwelt with God face to face as a man speaketh to a man. But when Paul started to talk about this, he used that as an example to the people of the day of the Corinthians when he wrote to them, and it's just as true today. He said, but even unto this day, in verse 15, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Turn to the Lord, the veil will come down. You won't look at, when you look at the Passover, you won't be thinking so much about a lamb, you'll be thinking about the lamb. You won't be thinking about a little bass sheep. You're going to be thinking about the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the people of God. You're going to be thinking about the one that John the Baptist proclaimed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You're going to be thinking about the Lamb that was dumb before his shearers. You're going to be thinking about the one that opened not his mouth when they brought him to before Pilate. And when he could have used such amazing logic and wisdom that could have confounded Pilate, he could have used an effectual voice to change Pilate's mind and say, no, no, I can't put this man to death. But instead, he was as a lamb who's dumb before her shearers. He opened not his mouth. You know, one of the most important verses I think that families need to keep in mind dealing with each other from day to day is a soft answer turneth away wrath. Right? But grievous words stir up anger. One of the most important things I think we can do in our families, just on a day-to-day discipline type of thing, is to speak to one another in soft words. And that's more important, the more frustrated or angry you get, to have softer and softer words. Because a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up, stir up anger. You know, that's true as a parent, too. You might be inclined to say that when a child does something wrong, to yell at them. But a soft answer turns away their wrath, too. A soft answer will turn away your own wrath. It's more important to, for us to raise our children with our actions than with the volume of our words, right? Nobody set a better example of that in the history of this world than Jesus when he went to Pontius Pilate, when he went before Pontius Pilate. Because you want to talk about a soft answer? The soft answer of the Lord Jesus Christ was he didn't answer at all. And when he, set, when he was upon the cross... 
the only seven things that he said were six, six soft answers and one glorious proclamation when he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. And that was showing that he was not weakened by the situation. He was still every bit as strengthened as he ever was. A soft answer in our homes and in our churches is of such vital importance to turn away wrath. And we can look to the cross to say, there's my best example of a soft answer. Jesus had a soft answer even at the cross. And the seven things that he said were fitting, appropriate. They were word fitly spoken. They showed love. They showed compassion, showed forgiveness. You've heard wonderful sermons about that, right? So the veil, the veil was blocking their understanding. And Paul, it blocked their view, it blocked their mind, and it blocked their heart. But Paul said, when the veil's taken away, then there's some glorious things will happen. Now, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And look at verse 18. But we all, I think Paul's talking about those that he was writing to, himself included, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Just like every other truth of God's Word, there's a ditch on both sides of this. Because we can... Let me not talk about the ditches. Let me talk about the straight and narrow here. So he's saying, we all, as with open face... I, I, I don't think I can describe this without talking about Brother Sonny's daughter, Sister Elisa. We've, uh, we were already so very close to them before we got to Arkansas, and we've become uh, even, even closer with Sister Elisa and Brother Lindell. And I've heard her tell the story about when they, when they got married, and she had the veil over her face, and she walked down the aisle. And I think she said the veil stayed on her face for the whole ceremony, if I remember correctly. But she said when it came time where they pronounced them man and wife, and Lyndall lifted the veil. She said she had been seeing them and thinking she was seeing them just fine. You know, it is when you look through a screen door, you're looking out, right. you can see the oak tree, you can right. see different images and right. things like that. She was seeing it, Lyndall, just fine, looking through the wedding veil. But she said, then the veil lifted. Mm-hmm. And it was like he came alive in living colors. And she told me she's thought about that with the way it's going to be with the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? That we're seeing him through a glass darkly right now. But one day the veil is going to be lifted up. And we're going to see him so vividly and perfectly. And to say in living colors doesn't do it justice, does it? But that's what this open face means. To be unveiled. To, be, to see the Lord in open face means the veil is pulled away. But you know, this isn't talking about the day that's coming. It's talking about a day that's now. That we can see the Lord now in open face. Now that doesn't mean with our visible, with our with our natural eyes, that day is coming where we'll see Him with mine eye. I'll see Him with mine eye, not another. But He's talking about now. We have an opportunity to have an open faced view of the Lord Jesus, and this was with a doctrinal understanding. But we all, and he's talking about those that understand the message of grace as we understand this. Paul's talking to a church that understands this. He's saying, but we all, with open face, viewing, (laughs) excuse me, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. This isn't a glass like a glass that you're going to fill up with water and start drinking out of. This is like a looking glass. 
And he's saying, as with open face, beholding in a glass, like a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Now, you and I can look in a mirror, and we can say, boy, I'm looking good. <laughs> you know that wouldn't be true for me to say that of myself. You can see the evidence in front of you, right? But we can all get vain. We can all be given to pride and say, well, I'm, I'm doing this all right. I'm doing that all right. But, you know, the Apostle Paul, or Peter talked about that too. A man that forgetteth what manner, he looks in the glass and he forgetteth what manner of man he was. There he is. Right? We can forget the sinners that we are. And that's one of the ditches, right, of this doctrine. We can forget how bad, putrid, and vile we are before God when it comes to our sinful nature. We can forget that. That's a dangerous place to be when somebody forgets the manner of sinner that they are. But we're also in a dangerous place if we forget that we can look in a glass and see the glory of the Lord. Right? You and I can look into a looking glass, a doctrinal looking glass, a looking glass of the knowledge of who the Lord Jesus is and what He's done to you and me. You and I can look into a looking glass, a mirror, and we can see the glory of the Lord. Now, if you are convicted of your sin, and I hope you are, and I trust I am, you can ask the question, which is a reasonable question, how, how can I look at the evil things that I've done, look at myself in a mirror, how can I see the glory of the Lord? Because in 1 John chapter 3, I'll tell you the answer to that, because in 1 John chapter 3, he said, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, and he cannot sin, because his seed remaineth in him. Amen. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, and I'm talking to a congregation of people of, that have been born by the Spirit of God. If you've been born by the Spirit of God, there is a nature inside of you that is perfect and holy and is just as righteous as the Lord Jesus. That's fearful, isn't it? But it's comforting too, isn't it? Because we look at ourselves and look at the whole person and say, boy, I mess up all the time, Brother Gary. Boy, and me too. But you and I can look in a mirror and we can see the face of Jesus in a manner of speaking. Because he died for you. Because he imputed his righteousness upon you. He put his spiritual nature inside of you. And I can give you the wonderful, comforting message that says when He sees you for all of eternity, that's how He sees you now. Yes, the Lord knows our sin is there. Yes, He sees it. Yes, He chastens us and He rebukes us for it. And all that is so that He'll see us more like His Son, so that we'll be more like Him, so that we'll repent from our sins, so that we'll be more like our Savior Jesus and that inner man. Put on a new man, right? The only way we can put on something is if we already have it. So the Lord is telling us here through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, he says, we as looking in a glass, beholding the face of the Lord, we're changed to the same image from glory to glory. Meaning I can look at His glory and I can understand that it's a reflection that comes back which is also my glory. Now, if we see that for what it is and we understand it for what it is, 
But John Mark, I know I didn't do that, did I? I know that the glory of the Lord Jesus reflecting back on me is what I can see when I look in a mirror. I have to know I didn't do that. There's nothing about me that could have done that. He, I, you know, when a child's trying to reach something and you pick them up so they can reach it, <laughs> you know, the Lord has to lift us so high for us to be able to reach that target. We might as well say he did it, right? <laughs> because it's in the heavens. Yeah. Ask not in thy heart, who shall ascend into the heavens or who shall descend into the deep? Because the Lord's already done it. Right? He's already ascended into the heavens. He's already descended into the deep. So we don't need to ask that question. But you and I have the blessed and humbling privilege to look in a glass and see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I reckon we might as well try to live that way, right? Y'all been such a blessing to us this weekend. We thank God for you. We love you. We miss you. We hope that you'll come see us. We appreciate you putting up with us. And we hope that the Lord's blessed our feeble efforts to your good and to your profit. May God receive the, play, the, the praise for that. And may God richly bless you.